0: Today's episode will be unique because it will be discussing historical unsolved mysteries including murder. Some details may be disturbing for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hello to another episode of Yes, That Actually Happened. I'm the host, Erin, and of course we have Jay. Hi. Where we find the oddest aspects of history. If you listen to this, enjoy the show at the end. We will discuss how you can support this podcast with ideas, reviews, and sponsorships, as well as a sneak peek at our next episode. Also, make sure to check out Jay's podcast, High School Author Wannabe, especially if you're looking for something a bit lighter after this episode.
1: There you go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it's gonna be a little dark. So this episode will tackle something darker, a variety of some of history's oddest mysteries. We will have three main sections where we'll investigate Mysterious Disappearance, some very odd deaths, and one solved mystery. Each section will be separated by a quick look at history of investigating crimes, and we may end up be doing this in future episodes with other crimes. With that said, let's get started with part one, Mystery at Sea. For the first Unsolved Mystery, I figured the easiest place to start was in a similar theme to our last episode, Unsolved Mysteries Involving Ships. There are many instances of disappearances, murder, and crazy mysteries. This one is about the Mary Celeste, a ghost ship from the 19th century. Woo. Yeah. The ship of Brigantine was originally named the Amazon and first took to the water in 1861. She served until 1867 when she was damaged during a storm and eventually sold to new owners. Richard Haynes, who renamed her the Mary Celeste, until his debts meant that the ship was taken as collateral... And then sold to James H Winchester, who gave the ship extensive repairs and upgrades, which was eventually captained by Benjamin Briggs. Benjamin Briggs had married a woman named Sarah, who was also his cousin, by the way. Ew! Very normal during that time. Let's not even talk about Edgar Allan Poe and his issues. So, anyways, married Sarah, had a son in 1865, had a daughter in 1870. He even owned some shares in the Mary Celeste. The date was 1872, and the Mary Celeste set sail, leaving behind New York and headed for Italy, her first journey since the upgrades. The journey was expected to be a few months and had a smaller crew of seven people, as well as the captain's wife, Sarah, and his daughter, Sophia. They were carrying barrels of alcohol and even had brought some luxuries along with them, a sewing machine and a piano.
1: Huh.
0: Yep, the the son was at home because I think he was staying in school since they were going to be gone for several months
1: um they're just left him behind see you later dude we love you we love you but we're actually gonna go to what europe italy yeah we're actually gonna go on a little trip to italy but like you can stay home and do your homework He's I mean, like, hindsight oh. 2020, he
0: was a lucky one. The That's true. Now, there was a second ship, the Dacre Radia, that was sailing on a similar path after the Mary Celeste. The captains were even friends, had dinner the night before Mary Celeste left. Mm-hmm. This ship was the one that discovered the abandoned Mary Celeste on December 4th, 1872. Upon inspection of the ship, they discovered that the last entry log was dated November 25th, nine days earlier, and everything was completely normal. Weird. Okay. The odd part about this whole thing is the ship was in working order.
1: Oh. Like, there wasn't any, like, issue to actually in
0: ship? No, nope. it, was, it was, like, obviously listing weird because obviously no one was taking care of it, but mm-hmm. it was still working order. Some of the crew in the other ship even continued to sail it, and they ended up in Spain. Hmm. Uh, there should have been no reason for them to leave. The only things missing or out of place was one lifeboat and some of the captain's items. Hmm. How so, many
1: people could fit in a lifeboat? Could everyone? I'm assuming so. Because that's, what, only, like, seven, like ten people?
0: Yeah. Nine. I don't know if the captains counted as the crew in this case. Oh. But either way, nine to ten people. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming all of them could fit on a lifeboat. So they all just, like, take some cash and, and run? So, yeah, what became of them? No one knows. The major theory is mutiny. The idea that the crew vaulted against the captain, took control of the ship, putting everyone to sea on the missing lifeboat. But again... The ship seemed completely normal, there was no broken things, there was no blood, and none of the crew ever showed up again. Hmm. So I know the idea of mutiny is something you wouldn't expect, but I still feel like if you had a wife and a two-year-old on board, you would probably fight back to try to save their lives. And something would get damaged. Someone would fall on that piano.
1: I can't imagine that there is a peaceful way to do a mutiny.
0: (laughs) I mean, the only other way I could see a peaceful mutiny is being like, hey... If you comply with this and just get off the ship, we'll spare your guys' life. But yeah. still, it just seems weird. That is weird. So, mutiny is one possibility. The other thing is, I guess, there's pretty accurate records saying that most people seemed to really like the captain. He mm-hmm. didn't, He definitely wasn't a tyrant who would make people want to mutiny against him. Yeah. So, the next one is pirates. Obviously, impressive ship. They're carrying a lot of alcohol, money, luxuries. It wouldn't be a stretch that some pirates or criminals might want to come along and steal all the items. And, you know, what better way to do that than get rid of everyone? That's we, true. We saw that in the last episode. Was the Pirates are not nice people.
1: But I feel like there would also be, like, a sign of a
0: struggle if pirates came on board. Exactly. Nothing was missing but the lifeboat, some of the captain's papers, and his navigation equipment. So unless the pirates were like, hey, everybody in the lifeboats, yes, you can take along your compass... And we won't kill you. Set them adrift. <laughs> and then we're like, you know what? Let's just not steal anything you know, today, guys.
1: No, this I'm just not really feeling all these nice things you have. I don't so... No one knows how to play piano, so, like... And this wine isn't our taste. Yeah, I don't like it.
0: So, Let's just go. Yeah. So, again, a suggestion, but probably not accurate. Uh, the last suggestion that modern historians and scientists have suspected lately is that there is a... And I can't even completely describe what exactly it was, but it was some kind of potential weird explosion that could happen with the alcohol on board that wouldn't cause necessarily damage to the ship, but would make the captain fear for everyone's safety and get them onto the lifeboat as quickly as possible. And then mm-hmm. something happened to the lifeboat while they were... Yeah. Floating. Huh. Weird. Other suggestions have been weather, accidents, and a debunked claim that the whole crew went swimming and diving.
1: Ah, uh, a little party.
0: Yeah. But then they all died. By sharks and drowning. But that was a debunked thing. Like, oh. it was like some guy claimed he was part of the crew and he didn't have details that even matched up with it. Like, he claimed that R was, like, seven or something, so.
1: Hmm. That's a weird thing to lie about. Yeah. So what do you think happened? Um, I think As you they stroke your chin in com- com- completion. T- my vote is they saw the Kraken come for them and they had to get off the big boat and sail away on the little one, but instead of the kraken taking the big boat, they were like, Nuh-uh, I want all these little people as a snack. And he ate them all.
0: Your, your guess is a sea monster. Yes. You think the sea monster plucked these people out of the lifeboat.
1: No, I think he ate the whole lifeboat and everything. As a snack. Yes. I think it was a reasonable, well-educated response. <laughs> okay. None of the theories. My theory is just as valid as all the other ones. There is a similar amount of, like, information. We don't know if it exists. The ocean is so big. Why were you can't... they on the lifeboat in the first place? Because everyone knows that the Kraken would logically go for the big ship, right? But they said, so they're like, okay, we gotta flee so none of us get eaten. And then... we didn't need to know how to get to Italy. So they all got in the boat quickly and started rowing off. But then the Kraken was like, uh-uh, I see you with my big eyeball. ate him. And then swam back to the
0: depths. Okay. It's a logical A to B. Yeah. What would you think happened? Um, I think something happened that made captain panic that they got on the lifeboat and just something happened to them on the lifeboat. Like
1: a sea monster. Thank you
0: for agreeing with me. Fine. Sea monster, we'll <laughs> go with sea monster. We solved it. It is a sea monster that ate Mary Celeste. You can't tell me otherwise. I'm gonna I'm gonna say this is not solved. Just gonna throw that in there.
1: No, I just solved it.
0: (laughs) What are you talking about? So the thing I think was weird about this whole thing is like, we think, oh, this kind of only happened back then because a lot of people more traveled by sea since they didn't have airplanes and stuff. But I mean, like, people still randomly disappear at sea all the time.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't know. My dad
1: refuses to fly anywhere outside of the United States. He is terrified of the ocean.
0: So he won't get on a cruise ship either? Oh, no, Anytime no. soon? Nope. I mean, if you actually want to check out episode 7 of the Wine and Crime podcast, it's hilarious, and they talk about cruise ship disappearances.
1: Huh. So I do love Wine and Crime.
0: Don't watch that episode if you're planning on going on a cruise ship anytime soon. Yeah, with all that money for a cruise I have. I don't know the <laughs> <your> life. <laughs> so now a quick break to discuss some historical crime solving, fingerprinting. Originally, they used what was called the Bertillion Measurements in order to identify individuals. This included various measurements of different body parts that collectively were thought to be unique to each individual. It wasn't until early 1900s that fingerprinting was really utilized in investigating after they realized that the measurements were not necessarily unique to individuals, when there were two Will Wests in a prison that apparently had the exact identical measurements. That seems like it'd be a lot of work. It, it was. I mean, like, I don't know if you know anything about, like, sewing measurements for, like, dresses and, like, suits and stuff, but, like, It's a lot of measurements. It takes a lot of
1: time. He's like, all right, stand still. I need to measure how long your feet are just
0: in case. In 1892, fingerprints were first used in a homicide, and by 1911, fingerprints were accepted in a court as a reliable means of identification. A man named Thomas Jennings was the first criminal to be found guilty based on fingerprinting evidence. Actually, I also worked at the Grand Rapids City Archives, and they do have a 1900s mugshot book that I helped preserve and that has fingerprint cards that identify people. And I think that Grand Rapids Public Museum has the older version that has the Bertilini measurements in it. So you can kind of see how they classified criminals and stuff. So it's really cool, actually. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, you should go see it sometime. Now, we get on to, I guess, what is a crime or murder or some weird, unexplained incident. Not really sure what this is, actually. I vote murder
1: without knowing anything about it.
0: I don't think you will once I give you all the facts. I'm throwing my hat in the ring. It's called the Dyatlov Pass Incident. This happened in nineteen fifty nine in February in the Ural Mountains in Russia.
1: Okay, well, it's Russia, so what did you
0: murder, what did you expect? This group of nine Russian hikers, seven men and two women aged twenty to thirty eight years old, who were pretty experienced truckers, went to this area and camped. So the series like really remote.
1: I think they all ate each other.
0: Eventually searched. search <laughs> you think they ate each other oh, that's
1: my i'm going off of zero information and what i've gotten is it's murder and they all ate each other it's cannibalism
0: i dearly hope you never investigate my future murder
1: ever Your future murder are you planning on
0: getting murdered or being no a murderer? but if i get murdered or i disappear i do not want you in the investigation at all oh i'll lead it then she got eaten by a sea monster. Oh, really? We're not even on the sea. She got eaten by a
1: sea monster. It was Bigfoot. You can't tell me otherwise.
0: We're in the city. So? You don't know his life. <laughs> Eventually, a search party began to look, look for them. When they were discovered. Not much of a search party if they already found him, am I right? Well, something weird and dumbly <laughs> happened. This was about two weeks after they were supposed to get back. They found the tent cut open from the inside like they were trying to get out as quickly as possible. Someone wanted to eat them. So here's what happened to the nine. Six died of hypothermia. Mm-hmm. So six just died probably because they went out into cold, little to adequate clothing because, again, they are getting out of the tent quickly, probably still in their pajamas. Mm-hmm. So far, you could just imagine something terrified them. As you're mining over there, cannibals. <laughs> they ran out just never made it back. The problem is what happened to the others in the group. Of the three, one had a significant skull damage and two had chest trauma.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And these injuries were pretty substantial to the point where it'd be really hard to imagine another human being inflicting that amount of force on somebody.
1: Well, then that will bring me a theory number two that I brought up earlier. Bigfoot. <laughs> Thinking think
0: Russia it would be the Yeti, not Bigfoot.
1: That's true.
0: The Yeti then. Some of the bodies were discovered in water, four of them, and of these four, they were collectively missing two sets of eyes,
1: Ew. one tongue, no. and one set of eyebrows. Sea monster in the water. Wait, yet on the land. <laughs> they were tag-teaming for snack time.
0: And there's no evidence to suggest there was another person in the area.
1: Um, I don't like that eyeballs can go missing. I don't like that. I can handle... Anything else, except for when eyeballs are not in someone's head.
0: I mean, I will just point out that if you die in, in like, a natural environment, soft tissues generally are what get eaten first by, like, insects, fish, other things. My eyeballs need to stay in my head. Well, just don't die outside, though. Okay, I'll never go outside again. Oh my
1: god, your cats would totally eat my eyeballs.
0: They would. Theories include animal attacks, hypothermia. Yeti. Avalanche. Yeti. Although it seems unlikely that they would be camping in an area with avalanche conditions if they were that experienced. would they have
1: noticed it was an avalanche? Like, wouldn't there be a sign of
0: an avalanche near I'm there? getting to that. Okay. Infra-sound-induced panic, so, like, low-key frequencies that you can only hear at certain ages and certain things. Like, there's evidence that, not actual evidence, but there's suggestions that it actually can drive people mad make them, like, get all disoriented. Friend someone. Sure. Yes. Never heard of that before. There's no evidence of that, but that's, that's okay. Interesting. Aliens, the military. And that's about all I have for suggestions. Aliens is
1: on one of the aliens is on the list, and you wouldn't accept my Yeti.
0: I'm not saying I'm not accepting it. I'm writing down what I research that people propose. And someone proposed aliens. I do not believe that was the case, but someone proposed that. What time
1: what time was this around? Like fifty nine.
0: Nineteen,
1: fifty nine? Mm-hmm. Alright. So, we're in Russia, and one of them said the government, right? Or the military? It, it could be.
0: I don't know for sure. There wasn't, like...
1: Hear me out. Maybe they were doing... The government was, like, doing some sort of experiment using those, like, frequencies to see what would happen, and they just wanted to use them as, like, test subjects out there in the wild. And then, you know... It made them crazy. It and made them crazy. Jump off
0: ravines accidentally and crush or, their chest.
1: Russia released the Yeti on them. Both, I think, are valid reasons that make lots of sense.
0: I'll pick your first one over your second one. Yes! I'll
1: take it. Maybe they're like, hmm, will this frequency turn people into a cannibal? (laughs) Yes!
0: Remind me to never let you test anything around me, ever. <laughs> um, they reopened the case in 2019. They came to the conclusion that it was an avalanche that would have forced them to abandon their site without time to dress for the weather. Uh, avalanche could possibly explain some of the injuries as well, since you get pretty significant injuries in avalanches. Yeah. The thing is, though, that they had cameras, they had photographs the group took, and when the team went looking for them, they didn't see much in terms of an evidence of an avalanche recently. I
1: don't think it's an
0: avalanche. I feel like you would see that. So what do you think it was? I mean, I know, you're pretty set on the Yeti. I've got... alright.
1: I have a few ideas. I don't think that my experiment one is off.
0: I don't think that one could be off,
1: but that I don't know if it's a, like the most reasonable. very 1959 Russia to me. Second, my best would be the Yeti.
0: What are your thoughts? <sighs> I mean, I at least like the idea of nature being somehow involved with it. Because, again, nature is weird and powerful. And, like, maybe it wasn't necessarily an avalanche, but maybe they thought something was happening. Maybe they thought an avalanche was happening and just kind of panicked and ran and, you know, group chaos theory kind of thing. Everyone's, like, all together and everyone's scared. No one's know what's what's going on.
1: That's true. And maybe,
0: like, like he, one of them, like, maybe they got trampled or something.
1: And that's why they had the chest and head thing.
0: Yeah, or, like, fell off different areas and accidentally got injured i mean it's a wide area it took a while to find the bodies it's possible that they wouldn't have seen where they actually like fell and crushed their skull or something yeah okay i guess
1: it makes more sense
0: (laughs) so we all know about crime shows on tv like csi that take some viewers inside the actual process of analyzing evidence however how did they come about the first crime lab was created in los angeles california in 1924 with the scientific crime detection laboratory following in Illinois in 1929. Mm-hmm. They began to process various evidence, including striations on weapons, hair, and blood analysis, although it wouldn't be until 1989 in the United States that DNA was used to convict its first criminal. Which, by the way, was the year before I was born. Really? Yep. It took that long? I mean, again, DNA has been discovered and processed for a while. I think that was just when it was finally believed enough to be able to be used in court and actually convict a criminal.
1: Huh. I guess I thought it was a lot sooner than that. Sooner? Earlier? I mean, it's
0: 1989. It's only like 30 years ago. I
1: guess so. I guess in my head it's been used, like, longer, but that's just because I listen to way too much true crime and stuff. So well, I get... To DNA's use been used stuff. in
0: different ways before that, too. It's just more of, like, when it was accepted and people are able to be like, yes, he obviously hurt this person because that has his DNA. And I know, irrefutably, that that is his. Okay. That makes sense. It was in 1987 that DNA was first used as evidence in a trial. So, just interesting to see how it processed over time. Yeah. So, our last section today is our solved historical case, which is still pretty bizarre. So, do you know how you were always told, don't eat your Halloween candy from strangers, make sure you don't There'll have razor blades? There will be razor blades. blades in it. Yes, razor blades in the apples. Well... Yeah, we're about to hear crime kind of related to that kind of thing. Oh, I might know the story. So in 1974 in Texas on Halloween, Timothy O'Brien, who at the time was eight years old, went trick-or-treating in Pasadena with his little sister, who was five, his father, a neighbor, and the neighbor's two children. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Later that night, Timothy chose to eat a pixie stick, which he called bitter and had a glass of Kool-Aid to get rid of the taste. He immediately had stomach pains and began to vomit and convulse. He died one hour later on the way to the hospital.
1: I have heard of this one. Oh, good. Mm-hmm. I do know this.
0: Oh, good. So, obviously I'm leaving out an entire chunk of the story. So, it was discovered the pixie stick was laced with potassium cyanide. Mm-hmm. So, who poisoned him?
1: <sighs> I don't know. Do I remember? I feel like it was, like, the dad. Did the dad do it? You would be correct. Yes! Because I remember thinking, what?
0: I remember being like, who poisons their own
1: yeah, children? it's pretty
0: <laughs> bad. So, it was raining, and they only trick-or-treated on two streets. So, police became suspicious when they discovered that the Pixie Sticks were acquired at a house where the occupant appeared to not be home. Mm-hmm. This home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. The kids got impatient, ran off to the next house, the door cracked open, supposedly, and the guy inside handed five candy sticks to Timothy's father, Ronald Clark O'Brien who then gave him to the four kids who he was trick-or-treating with and an extra one to a kid from their church. Mm-hmm. According to Ronald, he only saw the hairy arm of the man. Some guy just was like,
1: here you go, have five, pi- like who even, I feel like people don't even hand out pixie sticks. I
0: don't
1: know. Very and shady. <laughs>
0: it's very shady. So it took several tours of the neighborhood for Ronald to supposedly remember the house he got them at, which is, partially what made the police kind of suspicious, especially since no other house gave out pixie sticks, and, like I said, it was raining, they didn't trick or treat that long. Yeah. His story fell apart when it was confirmed by over 200 witnesses that Melvin was indeed not home. He was working his job at the William P. Hobby Airport as a air traffic controller.
1: <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Just say you bought them from the store. <laughs> Just buy a big pack of... I guess don't, because then you won't get caught. But just logically, when you just go buy a bunch of like a big pack of Pixie sticks and you're like, "I just bought these Pixie sticks," like I don't know, and then you boom,
0: blame the manufacturer. Yeah, they discovered that Ronald had over a hundred thousand in debt, which in the 1970s was a lot. I mean, that would be a, that's lot still now. a lot now. So imagine with interest how much it is then. No, that's so much money. Uh, both Timothy and his sister had significant life insurance policies, starting at ten thousand dollars on each of them, which increased by twenty thousand dollars apiece just before Halloween. Hmm. Tricky, tricky. That's
1: yeah. never trust anyone who like takes out a life insurance policy on someone else. I immediately am suspicious
0: of them forever. I mean, life insurance policies are common, but that amount for a child is not common it was a pretty clear case of yeah that dirtbag definitely killed his kid and what's worse is he basically didn't hear that he might have killed three other kids not involved with his kids He was like yeah whatever kill a kid you know go trick-or-treating i guess to get the blame off himself if the others got sick too i guess uh one of the families even allegedly like after getting a call saying that these pixie sticks might be contaminated went and found the child holding this pixie stick while he was sleeping
1: Oh, because yeah, he fell
0: asleep right before he ate it. Oh, yeah, because he couldn't get the staples open because...
1: oh, they, There's a red flag if They're not stapled.
0: <laughs> they might have been then. to be fair. I don't, I don't think know so. They they're just men. paper. I'm looking it up. You look it up. I'm looking it up right now. Either way, the candies had enough poison in all of them to kill around two to four adults, depending on which pixie sticks they analyzed. What year is this from? Um, 1980s, 1970s. I'm looking. Ronald was arrested on November 5th, so again, very quick investigation. Didn't do a good job of hiding a tracks. He also talked about cyanide with a lot of people. So not even like keeping quiet. Like he asked people how much cyanide would take to they're not kill stable. people. Okay, they're not stapled. So he, that is so shady. Tape it for God's sakes. You're a kid, you don't know any better. Stupid children. <laughs> he talked about how much cyanide it would take to kill an adult with other people. He actually inquired about getting cyanide at several places. He talked about cyanide to several co-workers. He just wasn't he very just, good at covering this up.
1: Maybe he was just like, no, I'm not suspicious. I just am interested in how much poison you would need for, mm, like, a, like, a, like, a big raccoon
0: or, like, a small child. I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) Uh, He was called the Candyman in the media and found guilty June 3rd, 1975, and was executed May 31st, 1984, ten years after the whole incident. Because obviously appeals and stuff like that. Yeah. By the time that he was executed, his wife had divorced him, happily remarried, and uh, his daughter was adopted by the man she remarried. Huh. He still claimed his innocence by claiming the old urban legend that we just discussed about... A stranger handing out dangerous poisoned candy. Dun, dun, dun. Although, this is the only known incidence of poisoned Halloween candy being given or consumed by a child. And then again, not even a stranger, his own dad. Yeah.
1: Because, like, a lot of times parents will be like, oh man, like, you know, like Facebook Karens are like, ah, oh, they're gonna be handing out, like, marijuana and your candy and stuff and it's like that stuff is so expensive that people aren't going to be giving it to children for free for fun funsies (laughs) no one does that that's so much time
0: and effort yeah so much easier to get people otherwise yeah so i promise next week will be more uplifting topic involving wars and the roman empire Ooh. yeah it'll be really fun if you have any questions on the topics we've discussed or would like some source material to do your own research, follow us on Facebook, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Support us on Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon, which includes fun, exclusive content and merchandise, including show stickers and coffee mugs. Nice.
1: And probably bloopers.
0: And bloopers. Oh, there are some good bloopers in there, I promise. And there's going to be probably exclusive episodes as well. Ah, oh, smart. Any further questions, sponsorship offers, or episode ideas, email us at yes I actually podcast.com and have a great day, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.